And please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word to Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. And we will return to our series on gospel worship and consider a part of worship that is often neglected, which is the public fast day. It's a part of our religion, yet it is rarely observed any longer. And that is something that, by God's help, will change in his church as the church is more and more pressed to depend upon him. But as you go there, as context for this text, um, this is coming in view of the Lord saying he will send a great army to come and chasten the people of God. And that's where we pick up the reading in verse 12. So with that as background, we pray that the Lord will bless now the reading of his holy word, Joel 2, verses 12 through 19. Give your attention to these solemn words of God. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O Lord, our God, we come once again to the preaching of the word. And there is, there is such a solemn lack of propriety. There is a solemn lack of reverence for you, Lord, a solemn lack of dependence on you, O God, by the church of Jesus Christ in our day and age. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use the preaching of the word to grow us, to grow us to depend upon you, that to take our religion as one that is weighty, to take you as one that is weighty, and not like those vain idols we sang of in Psalm 115. And Lord, no minister is capable in himself to, to cause such things to come to pass. So we pray that this, uh, this man who is the least of all saints would be filled with the fullness of Christ to be able to preach the everlasting gospel and the word of God. Give him the spirit that he may preach well and that you would overshadow his many weaknesses. And we pray for the people of God, that they would humbly receive the word of God as it is preached, insofar as it preaches the truth. So, Father, we pray that Jesus would increase, and we would humble ourselves now under the preaching of the word to the glory of God. And so we pray to that end that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we consider the doctrine of public fasting in our series on gospel worship. We will see that corporate fasting is an occasional part of the worship of God. 
It is often neglected, but it is a necessary part of the church's worship. Several of you have asked for instruction on public worship, so it seemed good to put aside what would have been next in our series on gospel worship, which would have been the Lord's Supper, as we had last considered the sacraments. It seems good to us to consider the doctrine of public fasting and to preach on this gospel ordinance as we have a a public day of fasting and humiliation coming before us on the 18th. And friends, just in general, let's not even talk about the church corporately. I think you, you sense that there has been a great decline in the practice of Christian fasting over the decades. And what we have to do, as I've mentioned many times before in this series on worship, is when we look at things that the church ignores in favor of the things that she chases, we ask ourselves, when we ignore plainly what God has given to us to seek his face, and we go after man-made innovations, is it any wonder that the church is in such a weak state right now as we ignore the things that God has told us to do? And the irony is, as we saw this morning in Luke chapter 6, is that often when we are physically filled, right, when we are rich, what is the question, Proverbs 30 says, that we will often ask, who is the Lord, right? And that's one of the reasons why that when we are physically filled, we are spiritually empty, because we rarely go to the Lord. And the Western church right now, at least, is very full, materially speaking, and rarely is seeking the face of God, and rarely even understands, as Israel rarely understood, disaster is coming. And so, we find that in the scriptures, fasting is a necessary part of our spiritual diet. We are prone to neglect it. Why? Well, either we misunderstand what it is, thinking it's merely the abstinence from food, and God forbid that especially in our society, we go without food for even one meal. But second, friends, fasting is meant to humble us before God. And that's the part that many of us miss. It's meant to be a time of humiliation before God. It humbles us. First, it says to God, we have no strength of our own. We ask you, O Lord, to have pity on us, uh, your inheritance. We are powerful, powerless. You are powerful and you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. You alone can save us from perishing. And in fasting, we also acknowledge our sins before God. We say, Lord, we are not the people we ought to be. And we acknowledge before his face that we must be humbled before God. And that's why we cry out in fasting as we see here in Joel 2. Save thine inheritance, Lord, though we do not deserve mercy. You are merciful. I'll continue to develop that, but I want to put that in your mind as we open up this doctrine. So I want us to hear of public fasting today and divide our time into three headings. First is the need for public fast. Second, the doctrine of a public fast. And then some practical helps for you on the day of uh, fasting, the practice of a public fast. So first, the need for a public fast. And this is... This is something, a distinction that often we don't make in the church, but there is a public fast that is distinct from private fasting. There is public fasting and there is private fasting. And while much of what I preach is applicable for sure to private fasting, these things are distinct. In private fasting, you yourself have chosen before God to afflict your soul 
to seek the Lord's help for a particular matter. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe it's for your own soul. Maybe you need help from the Lord for a particular reason. Done correctly, the Lord will say, people won't have any clue you're fasting. That's a private fast. Nobody knows, just you and the Lord. But a public fast, a corporate fast, is very different here. Obviously, in Joel 2, the whole nation knows the nation is fasting. It's the people together fasting with one voice, with one accord, save, O Lord. And these public fasts, as you probably have already seen in Joel 2, are called by the church or by the magistrates. Now, we don't have a particularly godly magistrate, and so they don't call for public fasting. We see ruin in our nation, and we don't seek the Lord. But if we had a godly magistrate, they would say, my people, our people, must fast and seek the Lord. You'll notice that in um, in uh, the history of the Dutch nations, the, um, the British Isles, Christian magistrates would call the people to fast and seek the Lord. And if we had a godly one, they would do so as well. But these public fasts then uh, are not part of the regular worship of God, but they're an extraordinary one when there are particular providences that come upon us. Now we speak of church power often and the limits of it, but this is one power that Christ has given to his church, where the elders can, as you see here, call a solemn fast. Joel 2 verse 15 Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. It's not to be done, you know, um, just at the drop of a hat, but it is when the elders come together. Again, we talk about Presbyterianism in the afternoon um, class time. It is when the elders come together as elders to say, there, there is something here where we need to seek the Lord in a heightened manner. There are many reasons that they might do so, either to seek the Lord's blessings or when you sense, as here in Joel 2, the judgment of God is here, or it is imminent due to provocations that we have made against our God. And Joel 2, the background is that calamity is coming. An army is sent by God to chastise his people for his sins. And so God's people are called to humble themselves and to fast and pray and to seek the Lord because God desires repentance, doesn't he, when we provoke him. And a fast day is meant to be a day entirely of us repenting of our sins and asking the Lord to turn us to himself, to go into the heart and to uh, confess before him, we are not the people we ought to be. Lord, will you turn and be gracious to us? And so repentance is a necessary part of fasting. And I'll come to that a bit later. Let's consider then, Our presbyteries call then for a day of fasting for the ministry. We are doing so in view of what we believe may well be judgment on the church. That we believe a calamity has come upon us. Let's remember how the word of God speaks, friends. You know, sometimes maybe you think you're being overly dramatic, pastor, or maybe the elders of the presbytery are being overly dramatic. But let's remember, friends, what the great calamities of the Bible are. It's not that COVID runs rampant and that our store shelves are empty, but there is a famine worse than that in the Bible, a famine truly chilling. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Amos 8, verse 1, 11. That's the most dreadful calamity a people can face, friends. 
the most dreadful calamity, to have our store shelves filled, but a lack of biblical preaching and teaching. That should grip your soul with fear. That's what God says, anyhow, it should grip your soul with fear. It should chill you to the bone. And that is what you face when there is a lack of ministers and there are open pulpits, a famine of the word of God. We are to seek the Lord to stay the awful judgment in Amos 8, verse 12, which is the next verse. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. That's a dreadful judgment on the people of God, friends. Dreadful thing if you know God through his word. And that's the imminent calamity that we sense we might be facing. And so public fasts are called, and this particular public fast is called in sense of perhaps imminent judgments. But the church also can call for public fasts for other reasons as well. And I'll give you three because we may encounter these in the future and I may not be preaching on this doctrine for quite some time. And the first of the other three is first to seek the blessings of God. Uh, Associated with that might be to seek wisdom from God. And three, to seek out the promises of God. Now, let's first consider to seek the blessings of God. And this will have some uh, uh, something for us to consider this year, I believe. In Acts 14.23, think of this. Before the election of elders, the church prayed with fasting. And when they had ordained, and that word ordained, we might be confused by it. That's actually the election of elders. Um, it's translated as ordained, but it has to do with the selection of men. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. You see here, first of all, you can see that this is a New Testament ordinance, a, a corporate one at that. You see, the church is praying and fasting before they elected men. Let me ask, because this is something we have to repent of. When was the last time your church prayed and fasted before a man was elected to office? Before our next officer elections, then expect a public day of prayer and fasting, because that's what the Bible calls for. You know what I want to say about that, and you think about even an election, right? An election of men to, to rule as servants in the church. We treat the things of God so lightly, friends. That's really our, our, our problem. Here are men being ordained to the office to rule in Christ's church, and most of us will come to the Lord's Day or whenever the election is held and just show up to mark a ballot without giving any thought, without praying and without fasting. And I think because we don't even think in those terms anymore, we see the great, great weakness of the church, the great unbelief that we won't seek God, friends. It's like our spiritual life is a game with no importance or weight behind it. But this is a glorious God that we serve. And there is a weightiness to our faith. And second, to seek wisdom from God. So we talked about seeking the blessings of God. This is actually associated there, but maybe it can be, it can be uh, distinguished. Whenever we need divine wisdom and we are confounded friends, fast and pray. You know, this might seem trivial, but I, I think that this has this might show that we think of things as trivial. You know, uh, a lot of you don't know this yet, but another family with little children is moving here from out of state soon. And maybe another might as well. Two more babies are going to be born into this congregation. And as the Lord continues to grow us, we are baffled 
Our space is running out and we've had no good leads on it. Perhaps we need to fast and perhaps we need to pray, friends, for guidance and wisdom as Ezra did. In Ezra 8.21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Do you see how the people of God, when they have a great matter before them where they say, I don't know what to do. They don't just kick the can down the road and say, well, I guess God will take care of that someday. They seek him. They fast and they pray. And third, to seek the promises of God. Now, this is again where we often kick the can down the road. We say, God has given us promises, and we know they are sure promises in the word of God. And at times, we mourn over the fact that we are not seeing them come to pass yet. But rather than just despair of it, or start to slowly think in our mind that the promises of God are not true, or maybe we change our theology slightly in our head, we must turn our mourning and our aching for the promises of God to prayer and fasting. Do you remember in Luke, Anna was at the temple night and day praying and fasting. What was she looking for? The promise of God. Fill thy promise, O Lord, to send the Messiah. And the Lord rewarded that old widow and she held the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't she? When things seemed so bleak, friends, when Rome had subjugated the Jews, when atheists and legalists had taken over the people of God, she prayed and she fasted and she said to God, you are the only one who can send the one you have promised who can change the course. And he did. To have such faith, friends, to have such faith to seek God. You know, there are more promises that the Lord is going to bring to come to pass. We believe because the Bible says so, he will revive the nations. The gospel will be sent to the ends of the earth. Kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens thy nursing mothers. The fullness of the Gentiles will come and the Jews will be called. When we see the world go in the opposite direction as Anna did, we must not change our theology. We must instead say we must seek the Lord in prayer and in fasting. We don't say the promise has ended. Maybe these things are not so clear as we believe they are. But as your soul is troubled, think of Psalms like Psalm 77. As you fast and pray, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? What's the answer to those six questions? No. No, of course not. But we still plead with God. We still fast and we pray. He has not forgotten. We forget. And that's why we have to fast. We forget our God. And so the promises are far away. And we fail our God. So when we humble ourselves, we admit we don't deserve his mercy. And we go to him as beggars. As the 77th Psalm continues, And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Friends, we have to remember that we are full of infirmities. We are full of unbelief. 
We are full of these things that we must confess before God when we humble ourselves on a public fast day. We have to remember God and remember his works and remember his promises. And then, as uh, as the 77th Psalm says, make our way to the sanctuary, the place of corporate worship, which we'll talk about later. That's where a fast should conclude. So, having seen the need for a public fast, let's consider next the doctrine of a public fast. And I do have to skim over this rather quickly. And the first thing to realize, because some people will teach this kind of thing, fasting is not eliminated in the New Testament. Some think it has, but I've already cited Acts 14, which shows you that not just fasting, but corporate fasting continues in the New Testament. Uh, And Jesus himself, you remember that from uh, our series in Luke, said that the days are coming when his disciples would fast when the bridegroom is taken away. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, he did not say fasting is done away with, but he dealt with its abuse, right? That it had become a marker. And when you think of Lent and people are, are, are marking their faces up to show that they're fasting, you can see that he's dealing with that kind of abuse where fasting had actually become perversely a marker of spiritual pride, the very opposite of what it should be. You are humbling yourself before God, friends, in a fast. Instead, Jesus said, when ye fast, notice that, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. He assumes you will fast when ye fast. As surely as he assumes you will pray and read the word, he assumes you will fast. So I'll ask the question, when did you last fast? When was the last time you fasted and did so sincerely and not hypocritically? So how do we know that we're no hypocrite when we fast next week? Well, there are two parts to every fast, whether public or private. And uh, there is an outward part, as much in our religion is, and then there is an inward part, as much in our religion is. The outward part is when we afflict our outward man by abstaining from food or drink and all the pleasures of life. And sadly, that is what most of us think about when we think of fasting. There's a natural kind of fasting in the world. Pagans fast all the time for diet, and you might too. You know, I'm not saying that's wrong. You diet and you might fast, or you might have health reasons where you might need to to fast. And so merely abstaining from food is of no value spiritually. Lots of people do it. So don't think when you go on this fast day that just because you are abstaining from food, you are then doing something that has spiritual merit. Do not think the the Lord will bless you. It's the seeking of the Lord in fasting, which is what really matters. It is you telling the Lord when you abstain from food what Job did, right? I've alluded to it already. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It is to say to the Lord sincerely that my dependence is on you, God, As the Lord Jesus said, what? My meat or my food is what? To do the will of him that sent me. Right? That's what you're saying when you fast. Ultimately, my meat, my food is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am more dependent on Jesus, the bread of life, more than the bread on my table. Saying, I need the rivers of living water more than my drink. That's what you do when you're abstaining. And that is always in view of what is done inwardly then. I want to encourage you, if you do it in the way that honors the Lord, fasting is a very sweet duty before God, if you are spiritual. It is the child of God putting his life where his mouth is, in essence, saying with his or her actions, Lord, I am utterly dependent on you, 
not my food, not this world. You alone, O God, that is where my dependence is. It is faith like a child, showing that I am desperate for manna from heaven, Jesus himself. And I've blurred the lines a bit here with the inward part, as I've already talked about the inward part. So the inward part of fasting is now especially an affliction of our souls. It's a humbling of ourselves. In Leviticus 16.29, the, the fast concerning the Day of Atonement is described as, ye shall afflict your souls. Why were our forefathers' souls to be afflicted when they considered the Day of Atonement? It's because their sins had created the need for an atonement. It was a time to be humbled, to remember that there is not one righteous, no, not one, and our sins are ever before us. Year after year, there have to be sacrifices every year because every year I am a sinner. And were it not for the provision of the Lamb of God, we would be utterly consumed. And so on a fast day, you acknowledge your own sins before God and repent of them. It is meant to be a day where you can devote to the Lord of great heart work to afflict your souls as you consider your sins and to resolve by the help of God to seek the mercies of Christ all the day and to follow Christ in new obedience. And that's what you see here in Joel 2. Repentance, the turning of our sin, turning to the mercies of Christ, turning to new obedience, that the Lord may turn to us. Listen to all the turning you find in verses 12 to 13 when it is associated with the fast. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth or relenteth of the evil. In fasting, first, don't miss this. You are called to turn to the Lord with all your heart, all of it. What you must understand then is that your sin and my sin are areas of our heart where we have not turned to the Lord. Do you see that? Those parts of our heart are where we have turned our backs to God, where we have shaken our fist at God. Let us not sugarcoat what our sin is. It is the reservation of our heart for idolatry and the world. You remember our time in Hosea, spiritual whoredom. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. And you are called then, You are called then to turn to the Lord with all of your heart and to discover those areas you have reserved in your heart, not for the Lord, but for this world or for your sin or for yourself. And if you understood how great our sin is against the God that we profess to adore and cherish, if you would see that we deny our Lord in so much of our heart, so much of my heart myself is turned away from God. So much. How we should weep, friends. How we should weep when we consider our God. We would weep, wouldn't we, if we knew what sin was truly against God. We would weep as bitterly as Peter wept when Christ stared at him after he had denied him thrice. And again, I'll go back to that motif. I don't think our hearts are so soft to the Lord. For if it were... I think even the least of our sins would afflict our souls. Maybe we need to fast and pray most of all because our hearts aren't as soft as they ought to be towards God. Well, maybe as you remember from last week's sermon, 
You must also remember as you confess your sins before God on a fast day, repentance is more than confession. You must ask for the grace of God to turn away from your sins and to turn to Christ and to obey him. You know, hypocrites will create a list of sins, right? Oh, yeah, I sin in that way. I sin in that way. And it's a game that they play where they can say, I've done my duty. I've confessed my sins. But they will not resolve to walk away from their sin. And real repentance, friend, you have to mark this well, is you, by the grace and help of God, to say, I will sin in this way no more. And what a wonderful thing a fast day is, where you can take stock of these things. Now, you, some people will get to this and what to do on the day. Some people think, wow, I have so much time. What in the world will I do? A fast day takes preparation. I'll get to that in a bit. But there is so much for you to do in your heart, friends. So much. How you are going to resolve to, to, to keep yourself from besetting sins, how you will plead with God, so on and so forth. We'll get to that. You know, the best time to plead for grace to walk away from sin is when you have afflicted your soul. If there is a stubborn sin in your life, plead on fast days for the grace to turn from it. I know how, you know, and maybe this chastises myself too in, in, in other days, I know how serious a man or woman is when they come and say to me, uh, Pastor, I am dealing with such a great besetting sin. I've tried everything. And I ask, have you fasted? And you almost see them squirm. It's like, I don't want to. Well, I know how serious you are, friends, about your sin, if you're willing to fast and pray and even take a day to do it. But when I see that one fasts and prays to the Lord to give them victory over sin, uh, I, I know that this is a man or a woman who truly depends on God for everything. So what you might take note, and I'm ahead of myself again, is that prayer is always associated with fasting. Fasting never stands on its own. It's always prayer and fasting in the Bible. That is the pattern. Anna was praying and fasting. You saw prayer and fasting in Acts 14 before the elders were elected. Always joined together. You cannot fast without praying. And so a fast day is spent in very much prayer. But I want to return back to besetting sins. I want you to be encouraged that the Lord says there is special spiritual help for you in fasting and praying. Now, you remember in Matthew 9.29, Jesus said in the casting out of certain demons, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. You remember that. So think of certain matters that have afflicted your soul that have just been too much for you. And you just have not gotten anywhere with them. Maybe they are sins that are not yet mortified. Maybe it is apostate children. Maybe it is loved ones you desire to come to the Lord. Or maybe it's our nation and its sins and the way it shakes its fist at God. Our churches in a state of distress, a famine of the word, a lack of conversions and revival in our area. Do these things grieve us? Are we seeing no improvement in them? Have you given up then pleading with the Lord? Have you ever fasted over these matters? Don't give up, but you must press further to the Lord. If, you, if you're not willing to do the things that the word of God calls us to do, to, to show the Lord our desperation for these things, just don't complain about them anymore. Because he has given you ways to seek him. It is time to press further towards Christ, friends. Again, this may be taken in the wrong way, not to earn your standing with God, but to seek him, to seek his face. He's saying, Lord, 
Whatever it is that is afflicting me, I believe this kind may not come forth by anything but prayer and fasting. I am utterly dependent on you. I will pray and I will fast and I will seek your face. I will weaken my flesh because why? The flesh can do nothing. Saying, Lord, I believe not by might, not by power, but thy, but by thy spirit. I believe such things. And so I will weaken my body so that I can press into the Lord. And uh, it's not just prayer. You have to fill the fast day with the word of God. I want to consider Nehemiah 9. And again, these things sound so alien to us. Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 3. Now, on the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting. So here's corporate fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. We'll get to corporate repentance and confession in a bit. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God. Listen to this. One fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. A quarter of the day spent in the book of the law. And then another quarter they worshipped and confessed. Half the day was spent in these public exercises. What you have to see then is a fast day is not a day then. Uh, maybe you've been confused by this. I was at one point. It's not a day simply absent of food. It is a day filled to the brim with spiritual food and spiritual exercise, both public and private. And elders, this is for us especially, on a public day of fasting, elders are beholden to lift up their people particularly. Now consider verse 17 in Joel 2. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? It belongs to us especially to bear up our people and our Presbyterian prayer on the 18th. We are to plead with the Lord to spare our people from the oppression that they face. We know that they face civil oppression. We know they face ecclesiastical oppression. And we know they face even spiritual oppression. And we must say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach. And speaking of the elders, elders are to call for public worship on that day. Joel 2.15 says, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. You notice that all the people of God are called to worship, even the children and nursing infants. One day, this is something to fast and pray for maybe, is we will have our own building. And on a public fast day, we could have two or even historically three worship services as in times past. What a wonderful thing that is. But on the 18th, we will conduct an evening worship service here to conclude our fast. And if you are able to keep that day for fasting and prayer, try to make it to that service, friends. We will have a time where the elders will... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll talk about that in the next heading. But we will have a time of corporate worship there. And the elders will confess our own corporate sins as a congregation, and we will seek the mercies of God. And we will also have a covenant renewal for our members so that you may take, again, the covenant uh, oath, because covenant renewal is part of public fasts. In Nehemiah 10.29, after their fast day, hear what they did. 
They claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. Part of public fasting is for the people renewing their oath to follow the Lord. It is a wonderful time to renew your oath if you're a member. Do you repent of your sin? Confess your guilt and helplessness as a sinner against God. And I hope you would have seen that by the time we come to corporate worship. Profess Jesus Christ, Son of God, as your Savior and Lord, and dedicate yourself to his service. Do you promise that you will endeavor to forsake all sin and to conform your life to his teaching and example? A public fast day, and that's just one of our oaths of membership. A public fast day, then, is maybe for you on that day to consider the oaths you've taken to God. Whether here, as a covenant of communicant membership, or any place else that you've taken an oath. And you must see, must I repent of my failing to keep my oath to God in these ways? Right? Uh, You know, one of the other oaths says, do you purpose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? In all the relationships of your life, faithfully to perform your whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him. What a wonderful day, a fast day is to think of that oath. I took this oath before God Almighty. And must I repent of not following it? That's why we renew our covenant oaths before God on a fast day. And as covenanters here, we believe in the ordinance of covenanting. And we must not just say that pridefully, oh, we are covenanters. But we must believe it humbly. Confessing our shortcomings before God. Because that is what covenanters do. Now, as for duration, um, I've said it already, a fast day. So maybe you've heard it enough. But a lot of people are unclear. Public fasts are 24 hours in duration. Uh, There are other extraordinary fasts that people are confused by. Our Lord Jesus and Moses fasted for 40 days. But those are extraordinary fasts, men who are held up by the power of God. But the Bible shows the ordinary fast is one day. Uh, Isaiah 58, 5, is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. So there is a day for a man to afflict his soul. All right, the last thing I want to consider in the theology of public fasting is this, and it is critical. It is always done with a wholehearted trust and belief that God is merciful to us in Jesus Christ. We go to prayer and fasting with that knowledge and belief implanted in our heart. That's a great inducement to go to the Lord, friends. Not with fear and terror and trembling, but with warmth, adoration, and expectation. It is a humbling of ourselves, yes, but it is an exaltation of our God for his mercy. Consider verses 13 to 14 in Joel 2. Turn unto the Lord your God. Why? What is the reason? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth, that is, relents him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? If this was not true of our God, fasting and praying is utterly hopeless and it's utterly in vain, friends. We humble ourselves knowing that he is gracious and merciful. You remember that is what upset Jonah so greatly, that the Ninevites, as vile as they were, could yet receive mercy if they turned to the Lord in repentance. And you remember that fast day that the king gave to the people. And they fasted and repented. And that is what Jonah was angered by. 
the mercy of God to the worst kinds of sinners. That's why his anger was expressed in this way. And see if you recognize these words. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. What a thing to be angry at God over, friends, first of all. But what a thing we forget for ourselves. But did you notice Jonah's confession is the same, are the same words in verse 13 of Joel 2? Exactly the same words. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. That seems to be a, a, a confession of the faith in the Old Testament, a trustworthy saying, a creed of sorts, one to emblazon upon your hearts, especially when you pray and fast, that I know my God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and relents of the evil. That's a trustworthy saying for you, as it was for Jonah and Joel. Well, with that then, to give you an overview of, of theology, let's conclude with our final heading, the practice of a public fast. And uh, much of this is intertwined with the last, so I don't expect to spend as much time. I wanted to give you some practical ways to keep the day, um, because this will have been foreign to many of us. I think you have seen that the Bible's doctrine is very rich and beautiful, how to afflict our souls and seek the Lord, but now you have to ask, how will I put it into practice? And let me say, preparation, like most spiritual exercises, is vital and key to keep the day from being aimless and shiftless. You know, just like we talked about, we often just barge into an officer election, we'll just barge into a fast day, and we won't know what to do other than we shouldn't be eating that day. But everything that truly matters is a day, uh, is something we must prepare for. And so a fast day is a day to spend the entire day with the Lord. And you have to ask yourself, what will I do that day? Have you already thought about it? This is why it's coming more than a week in advance. Um, I reflected on this, and sad to say, when it comes to spiritual exercises, we are often more diligent about preparing for like a backyard project or going on vacation and how we will fill each day than we will for how we must spend time with the Lord. Things that have weight and importance, we don't treat as though they are weighty and important. We treat our faith, frankly, and I don't think this is too out of line. Frankly, most of us treat our faith like it's a joke. It really is nothing that we spend time with. We'll spend time and energy every place else, but when it comes to spending time with the Lord. So I would say, and I'll I'll send some stuff, the elders here will send some stuff to help you in this. Be prepared. Have scriptures prepared to read through. Have prayers prepared to pray over. Plan out and map out your day. Um, Of course, abstain from food if you can for the 24 hours. Typically, a fast is held from dinner time to dinner time. And so an easy way to get you into fasting is to begin your 24-hour fast after dinner time the prior day. So maybe on the 17th, conclude your dinner and then start your fasting. Also, make sure that you don't do something like stuff yourself full that day, right? Um, That's not the point of fasting. We want to afflict ourselves, right, in our soul. So just have an ordinary meal. And then you can do is you can break the fast the following evening. If you come to the worship service, maybe after the worship service, you can break the fast. And again, don't gorge yourself like, ah, now I can eat again. Right? Have a sensible meal. You are here to serve the Lord. Um, Some of you can abstain from water. Some of you cannot. 
Some of you can't abstain from food for 24 hours for medical reasons, or maybe you're, you're a nursing mother, or you have a child in the womb, or, or whatever else. In all religious exercises, the guiding principle is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Keep that in mind. Um, the Lord knows your frame. So if you are unable to, for health reasons, do not push yourself. Uh, but try skipping out on a single meal. Still, try to fill the day with prayer and the word. Um, parents have asked me this question, so I'll address it. Parents, you'll have to gauge whether your children are ready for any kind of fasting, right? Um, but encourage them to spend more time in prayer if they cannot. Spend more time in the Bible or spend more time in family worship as a family. And Israel, and this is something also critical for us to remember, Israel treated her fast days like Sabbath days. Now, this is a very challenging thing for us in this time. They didn't do any work or recreation on that day. And so what I'm going to say might sound crazy to most American Christians. And I also understand that uh, you know we are not a covenanted nation and Christianity isn't established. It was easier once upon a time because the magistrate by law said nobody can work on a fast day. I understand we're not in that time anymore. But I still encourage you, and this is where I might sound crazy to you, but I want you to think of your God first. I would encourage you to take the day off of work if you can. Take a PTO day if you have any. Pay time off if you can. And that sounds so fanatical to too many, sadly, but I don't think it is. I really don't. We take days off for all kinds of reasons, friends. Some people will even take a day off to go to the opening of a movie. Others will go and take a day off because they want uh, to, to go to the doctor and, and they need more time for their physical health. Or they just say, I need a day to decompress, right? But rarely have I noticed do God's people take a day off to spend just seeking him. And isn't that a, a strange thing? You know, it's hard enough to get them to send, spend a Sabbath with him, much less other days. But let me ask, have you ever taken a day off? And I encourage this for many of you who have struggled Take a day off. Have you taken a day off to spend with the Lord? Have you ever done that? A day to spend with the Lord intensely. Is that a strange thing in your mind? Is that a fanatical thing in your mind? I hope it is not. Think about it. Consider it. What a thing it would be if you would spend the whole day seeking the Lord. But even if you cannot, still map out your day, right? If you are fasting, you will not eat physical food at breakfast or lunch, right? Think about it. Can I not, is it not, not the point really of fasting? Could I not substitute my breakfast time or my lunch time with time in prayer and in the word? The time that I would normally spend preparing my food or eating, could I not spend that time in prayer and the word? Is that not a true way to say to the Lord, I have esteemed the words of your mouth more than my necessary food? That would be a wonderful thing. Also, plan to abstain from worldly activities as much as you can. Turn off the television that day, right? It's a day to spend with the Lord. No recreation, no video games, no social media. You are humbling yourself before God. I would even say, turn off your phone if you can. A lot of thing it is that we have a hard time with that, right? Like probably right now you're thinking, you are a crazy man, pastor. But I would say, why? Why is it crazy to turn off your phone for a whole day? Especially if you've taken the day off of work, right? I'm not going to be available, right? And maybe there's a way for those who have emergencies to get a hold of you. But is that a strange thing? Or are you already thinking of the things that you cannot do on a fast day? Just saying, think about where we are as a people. 
Um, so set your heart and mind on the Lord and not this present world. And uh, let me remind you as well, sinning is more heinous, just like on the Lord's day. It's more heinous on a fast day. Repent quickly if you sin. Um, it is even, we heard this this morning, I, I believe in 1 Corinthians 7 in the morning reading, right? It, fasting days, days of fasting are times to abstain from marital relations, right? The only time that the Bible says abstain from marital relations is for a time, right? Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourself to what? Fasting and prayer. Again, fasting and prayer conjoined. Uh, and I wonder how many couples have ever done that. Said we are going to fast and pray. But the Bible assumes that couples do. Um, and so even abstaining from lawful activities like marriage duties, we owe one another as husband and wife. On that day, we don't. And then, remember your business that day. It is to humble yourself before God the whole day. Look to the word and do a work of examination of your own heart. Spend the time in humiliation of soul. See the plague in your heart. Bring it before God. I will send out some stuff on the larger catechism as an aid and read the scripture proofs for each of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, you might say, wow, that's a lot to read through. I say, what are you doing in 24 hours minus eight maybe for sleeping? Right? If you are fasting that day, you have a lot of work to do. You can. And this is a wonderful time of sanctification. And then also not just think about your own sins, but go outwardly to all the groups you belong to. Several of you, I was encouraged last week, sent me messages saying that you uh, have, as a family, been repenting corporately of sins. What a wonderful time it is as a family to do that work again and to confer with one another. Mourn the sins of your family. Spend special times in family worship. Seek the Lord together. Then mourn the sins of our church. The elders will send a guide on the sins of this church uh, before Tuesday. Uh, mourn the sins of our presbytery. The presbytery has a guide that will be sent to you. Mourn the sins of Christ's church as a whole. Now let me pause there for a moment. So many of us, and I convict myself in this too, when we look at the sins of the church out there, we're so quick to immediately jump on everybody. Oh, look at what they're not doing, or look what they don't understand. Well, friends, those still bear the name of Jesus Christ. They are still Christ's church. And it is our duty to mourn and lament and not throw stones at the bride of Christ. If the bride of Christ is not what she ought to be, we should cry instead of getting on an angry rant on Facebook. This is the prescribed means, not social media. Fast and pray for the bride of Christ because it is his church and he loves the gates of Zion more than our dwelling places as we saw this morning and this afternoon. We, it is so easy to be self-righteous, friends, but a fast day is meant to say we belong to the church universal, not just the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. And we should cry, because this is Christ's church. No wonder the breaches of Zion are not repaired, because our self-righteousness arises more than our tears. So mourn over that as well. Then you can mourn over the state of our nation. We are Americans, and so we are a part of this corporate body. Mourn our idolatry. Mourn our denying of God. Mourn over second table abominations as well. In all of this, the point of the fast day is to be like men like Jacob who wrestled with God. He went that time wrestling with God and you have an entire day God willing to say to the Lord, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. You have a day to do that, friends as Jacob did. 
Think about it. I will not let this day end without the blessing of the Lord. Go with that kind of fervency. And then, as we conclude, come to the public worship service of fable to end the fast, renew the covenant. And there is a great richness, friends, that we, we have not experienced by and large as the people of God because we do not fast and pray in this way. And on that day that you fast, every hunger pang you have should send you to the Lord in prayer and in the word because you are remembering where your true food comes from and that you have spent too much time, too much time in the wilderness of this world, too much dependency on this world. And every hunger pang should say, no, 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 I must seek instead the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And that's what your fasting should do. That at the end of the day, you will know as the Lord upholds you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And spend the day with this creed close to your heart. Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. That's what we do. If you have any more questions, you can always contact me or the elders here, and we'd be happy to talk to you. There'll be more instructions being sent over the week that we may better fast and pray. But until then, may the Lord bless his word to us, and may he bless us as we seek him on the 18th. Please rise for prayer, if able. O Lord, our God, we are a people, we confess freely, who are slow to believe the promises of God. We are slow to repent. We are hardened in our hearts. We don't do the things that you have asked us to do. We do not seek your face. We often treat you as though we can take you or leave you. We do not sense our great dependence on our God. We do not seek you in the secret place daily, We do not seek you corporately as a church. Our churches have become, by and large, places to tickle men's ears. We do not have any sense of our sin. And Lord, we confess all of this freely before you, knowing that you are a gracious God and merciful. And so, Lord, as we come to seek your face in a a week, a little over a week's time, we pray, Father, that you would humble us as a people that at the end of the day, we would know you better, that we would have said we have walked with our God this day, that we have experienced the the grace of our Lord, that we have seen our sin, that we are beggars before you, O Lord, and that we would be glad after we have done such a work, that we will have exercised our soul and known our God in our heart. We pray, Father, for the people of God Uh, not just in this church, but in every church that names Christ and has a true candlestick that has yet to be snuffed out. So, Father, we pray that you would preserve that which remains, that you would bless our time of humiliation before you, and that you would strengthen your bride and bring even great revivals as your people throughout this world seek your face. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.